All right. Great to see more people in the room. And also, I know some of those, those of you online don't know, but Carol's with us today. We're so grateful she could uh, make it back and be with us. And grateful for all of you who are here who may be new or visiting. And then again, all of you online, welcome. We're, we're glad that you're here with us. Uh, we are working our way through the Bible. Today we're in uh, Matthew chapter 8. So uh, open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 8 as we continue our journey through this amazing gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. I've got to get my timer out because, believe it or not, I do try to watch the time. I know you don't think I do, but I do. There we go. Matthew chapter 8, let's read, starting with verse 1, we'll read down to verse 17. The word of God reads as follows, when Jesus had come down from the mountain, great multitudes followed him, and behold, a leper came and worshiped him, saying, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Then Jesus put out his hand and touched him, saying, I am willing, be cleansed. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. And Jesus said to him, See that you tell no one, but go your way, show yourself to the priest, and offer the gift that Moses commanded as a testimony to them. Now when Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him, pleading with him, saying, Lord, my servant is lying at home, paralyzed, dreadfully tormented. And Jesus said to him, I will come and heal him. The centurion answered and said, Lord, I'm not worthy that you should come under my roof, but only speak a word and my servant will be healed. For I am also a man under authority, having soldiers under me. And I say to this one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes, and to my servant, do this, and he does it. And when Jesus heard it, he marveled and said to those who followed, assuredly, I say to you, I have not found such great faith, not even in Israel. And I say to you that many will come from east and west and sit down with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the sons of the kingdom will be cast out into outer darkness, and there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then Jesus said to the centurion, go your way, and as you have believed, so let it be done for you. And his servant was healed that same hour. Now when Jesus had come into Peter's house, he saw his wife's mother lying sick with a fever, and he touched her hand, and the fever left her. Then she arose and served them. And when evening had come, they brought to him many who were demon-possessed, and he cast out the spirits with the word and healed all who were sick, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying, He himself took our infirmities and bore our sicknesses. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word. Lord, this morning, once again, we come, we open our hearts, and we ask you to speak to us. Be our teacher, be our guide, minister to us. Lord, whatever our needs and, and our wants and our desires were as we walked in this morning, may you meet us where we are. In Jesus' name, amen. Going back to chapter 4 of Matthew, Jesus had been out ministering. 
And then when we come to chapter 5, which we've just been through chapters 5, 6, and 7, known as the Sermon on the Mount, you have to put yourself in the situation and understand that this all took place within the, the course of a day. So everything that we've been reading here from chapter 4 all the way to now is all in the same day. And as you read uh, Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7, Jesus' longest discourse or his longest recorded sermon, you have to understand that in in the amount of time that you could read that, um, and maybe even add a little bit of time, but let's let's just be generous and say that was like 30 minutes or so, maybe even 45 minutes or an hour. The amount of time that it took Jesus to deliver uh, the Sermon on the Mount. And then we come to his section here in chapter 8 where it says, And when he had come down from the mountain, so remember he had gone up on a hill or a mountain. Uh, They're referring to it as a mountain, but if you go to the area of Capernaum, uh, which I've been blessed and privileged with going to only once, but when you see the area, see the region, and you see the area where they think most likely he sat and taught and gave this sermon, it really is for us what would be sort of the side of a hill but it would have been very much sort of a natural amphitheater kind of a setting. And so Jesus had sat down up on this hill or this mountain. He had delivered what we know as the Sermon on the Mount, and now he had finished. And when he had come down from the mountain here in chapter 8, great multitudes followed him. So when he had gone to sit down on the mountain, great multitudes had followed him. Now they're continuing to follow him because they no doubt know that this is unique, this is different, this man is not like the other men. In fact, we, we uh, ended uh, chapter 7 where it says, and so it was that when Jesus had entered, excuse me, ended these sayings that the people were astonished at his teaching for he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. So the way Jesus taught, being the son of God, People understood that as he spoke, this was no ordinary man. This was not just a guy who had a soapbox and was giving free lectures. This was the Son of God speaking the Word of God to the people of God. And so as Jesus arose from the mountain and great multitudes began to follow him, it says, Behold, a leper came and worshipped him, saying, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Now, Matthew, Mark, and Luke all record this scenario, this situation in Mark's Gospel, chapter 1, verses 40 through 45, if you want to read that. And then in Luke's account, Luke chapter 5, verses 12 through 16, Luke gives us a similar account. And they're all strikingly similar, but one of the things that Mark brings out in his account, he says, then Jesus moved with compassion, stretched out his hand. And so, uh, Mark was probably the, the penman for Peter, and Mark's gospel was likely Peter's gospel, but as this is being recounted under Mark's uh, recording, it says he was moved with compassion. And in Luke's account, Luke gives us uh, a little bit different ending. It says, uh, however, uh, in verse 15, Luke 5:15. however, the report went around concerning him, that is Jesus all the more, And great multitudes came together to hear and to be healed by him of their infirmities. So he himself often withdrew into the wilderness and prayed. So we get an insight into the fact that Jesus often went alone to pray as he ministered to people. So here in Matthew 8, 2, this leper has come to worship him. So 
What do we know about leprosy? Perhaps you've heard some things about it. Well, first of all, there's a very contextualized cultural thing going on here between the Jews and the Gentiles. You see, uh, every morning the religious Jews would arise and they would pray a little prayer to themselves. And here's the prayer. Uh, They would say, I give thanks, God, that I am a man, not a woman. I am a Jew, not a Gentile. I am a free man and not a slave. Now, it's great to give thanks for the way God has blessed you, but this was obviously a very biased kind of a prayer because the Jews held a low view of women, they held a low view of Gentiles, and they had a low view of slaves. In fact, all three categories they viewed as, in many ways as being subhuman. And certainly those who were lepers, they viewed in this category as well. In fact, often the religious Jews would shoo away the lepers, uh, and we'll review some of the reasons why, but they would often also throw rocks at them to drive them away. The lepers had to live apart. This was a a deadly condition. They could not live in a walled city. In fact, if you go back and read Leviticus chapters 13 and 14, there is a detailed account there, 59 verses in chapter 13, which are given for diagnosing the condition of leprosy so that you don't make a mistake in how you diagnose it. And then in chapter 14, there is this long detailed process for how do you restore someone from uh, having had leprosy. And notice that although leprosy is a medical condition, that they didn't refer to it as being healed. From leprosy, they referred to it as being cleansed. So let's, let's talk about that for a moment. The lepers had to shout, unclean, unclean, any time they came near someone or any time someone came near to them. Ironically, I'm not making this up, they had to wear a mask, cover their face, and they had to stay at least six feet away from people if they were in any kind of proximity. Do I have to draw any parallels here for anyone? Uh, They had to cover their open wounds and their sores with cloths. They were regarded as, uh, rather leprosy was regarded as a type of sin, and we'll explain why. And because of this, this is why the Bible said that they needed to be cleansed as opposed to healed from their leprosy. In Isaiah chapter 1, verse 5, it says uh, regarding leprosy, although it's not totally apparent that this is talking about leprosy, I'll read it to you. Isaiah chapter 1, verse 5, why should you be stricken again? This is the Lord speaking to the nation. You will revolt more and more. The whole head is sick. The whole heart faints. From the sole of the foot, even to the head, there is no soundness in it, but wounds and bruises and putrefying sores. They have not been closed or bound up or soothed with anointment. So here the Lord even referring to a physical condition likely being caused by sin. Leprosy, you see, might begin with the loss of all sensation in some part of the body. It can take up to three years to incubate and to come to fruition that it begins to eat away part of the body. The nerve trunks in your body are affected. The muscles waste away. They atrophy. The tendons contract until the hands become more like claws. And there follows the ulceration of the hands and the feet, and really all of the appendages, the the nose, the ears, the toes. 
And then comes a progressive loss of fingers and toes until in the end the whole hand or a whole foot may drop off. The duration of that kind of leprosy is anything from 20 to 30 years. So this is worse than cancer. I mean, you, you waste away. Your body begins to rot and fall off. It is a kind of terrible progressive death in which a man dies by inches. According to Jewish law and custom, I've already referred to this, one had to keep six feet away from a leper, and if the wind was blowing toward a person from a leper, they had to keep between 100, at least 150 feet away. And the only thing more defiling than contact with a leper was direct contact with a deadly body, excuse me, a dead body. And one person goes on to say, in the Middle Ages, if a man became a leper, the priest donned his, his, his cloak or his coat, and he took his crucifix, and he brought the man into the church and read the burial service over him, essentially presiding over his funeral while he was alive. For all human purposes, the man was considered dead. So according to Leviticus 13, a leper is unclean. A leper cannot be with people. A leper cannot have human touch because it was believed, of course, that human contact would spread the disease. We've just read that it can take up to 20 years or more to actually kill the person. Uh, if you were upwind or downwind, depending on where you were, you had to be between 150 and 300 feet away from others. You were considered unclean ceremonially, which meant, in essence, you could never go to church again. You could never be with the people of God. You were considered unclean physically. You were considered unclean spiritually because it was viewed that the reason that you had leprosy in the first place was not because you had come in contact with someone who had the disease, but because God was judging you for your sin. We'll talk about that again in a moment. You became emotionally alone and separated. You were regarded by everyone as the walking dead. Maybe they should consider that for a TV show. Life had no meaning or purpose anymore for these people because they couldn't have contact. They couldn't have relationships. The priests despised the lepers. They saw them as people under the judgment of God and people who deserved no mercy. We know, of course, that today this is called Hansen's disease. It's incurable. It can be slowed through the use of certain medications, but it cannot be cured. As of today, as far as we know, there still are about 10 to 15 million people in the world, mostly in Africa and Asia, who have leprosy. And it is reported that there are as many as 5,000 people in the United States who have leprosy. The superstition that sin was the primary cause of leprosy actually comes from the Old Testament. You see, there are nine lepers that we know of mentioned in the scriptures. Moses had his hand turned to be a leper uh, when he was before Pharaoh, and the Lord was uh, using Moses as an example. So he had uh, Moses put his hand in his coat, pull it out. It was full of leprous sores, and then he put it back in, and then God healed it, and then he brought it back out. So that was a demonstration. Moses didn't have leprosy because of sin, but because God was using him as a divine example. Uh, Miriam, uh, Moses's sister, uh, because she rose up against Moses and criticized him, she was struck with leprosy. You may remember the, the Syrian general Naaman in 2 Kings chapter 5. He was a man who had leprosy, and there's an amazing story there in 2 Kings 5 
with Naaman and Elijah, and we don't have time to go into that. Naaman had a servant named Gehazi who uh, illegally took money after Naaman's healing, and then God struck him with leprosy. In 2 Kings chapter 7, we have four lepers who are there in a famine, and there's a beautiful story there of what God did with them. I'll leave that to your reading as well. Then in 2 Chronicles 26, we have King Uzziah, who rose up in pride and decided he wanted to cross over from being a king to being a priest, and so he attempted to usurp the priesthood, and God struck him with leprosy for doing something that God had deliberately told him not to do. Here in Matthew 8 in the New Testament, we find these lepers, or this leper that we're looking at today. In Matthew 26, we have a reference to a man called Simon who was a leper. And then in Luke 17, we have the familiar story of 10 lepers who were cleansed. Now, because of the story of Miriam, Gehazi, and King Uzziah, all who were struck with leprosy because of disobedience, because of sin, the priests and everyone uh, in, in the Jewish religious community felt that if a person had leprosy, it was because God was judging them. And it was because specifically of their sin. And we know that's not entirely the case. We've already looked at a few of these examples, but that was the, the belief. In fact, the, uh, the Talmud later listed over 61 conditions by which a person could be declared unclean. And many of those were, of course, connected with leprosy. But we notice here with this leper, this man, knowing all these things that I've just told you about lepers, Jesus had, had just taught probably the biggest sermon with one of the biggest crowds he's ever had. And now this leper is coming into the crowd. Imagine what's happening. Imagine the things that people are saying to him as he's making his way to Jesus. And he no doubt has heard somehow about this man, Jesus. Now imagine that you have something, some kind of medical condition where there is absolutely no hope for you. But you hear because of this man, Jesus, because of the things he's been doing, not just because of his powerful teaching, but because he's already had a healing ministry going. People have already been healed by Jesus. And now this leper is coming and he's being very bold. And he knows that as he comes in, people are going to yell at him. The priests are going to yell at him. People are going to, you know, scream and run in the other direction and take their kids and, you know, treat him like he's a horrible monster. And so as he's coming, in spite of all that, and all these things no doubt are truly happening, he came, to notice it says that he worshipped Jesus. Did you catch that? Behold, a leper came and worshipped him. And he said, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. This leper came. He bowed down to Jesus publicly at his feet. He worshipped him. He called him Lord, and he requested Jesus, if you're willing, not if you can. You see, he didn't doubt the ability, the capability of Jesus. He just didn't know if Jesus was willing. And so he worshiped Jesus. He had confidence that Jesus could do more than make him healthy. He had the confidence that Jesus could make him clean. And then Jesus reached out his hand in verse 3, and he touched him. Now, for Jesus to come anywhere near this man, 
was forbidden. Jesus was regarded by the people as a rabbi. We know that many times people called him that. So for Jesus to come near this man, no doubt his disciples were like, Jesus, what are you doing? Stop. Don't, don't, no. He's, he's a leper, Lord. Don't, can't you see? And Jesus put out his hand and he touched him and he says, I am willing. Be cleansed. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. You may remember another situation where Jesus had healed a blind man. And the disciples said, Lord, whose sin was it that caused this man's blindness? Was it his parents' sin or his sin? I mean, what, what was it? And remember, the Lord said, no, it wasn't that. It was so that the glory of God could be revealed on this day as I heal him. So his leprosy was cleansed. You see, this leper came to Jesus by himself. He was discouraged. He had, where else could he go? This was his last ditch effort. He had no hope, no hope apart from Jesus. He didn't have any friends who would comfort him or console him. Other people had given up on him and his condition as hopeless and helpless. No one would take him to Jesus. He had to go there on his own. He had no previous example of Jesus healing anyone with leprosy. He had no promise or no word that Jesus would heal him. No one invited him. He just crashed the party. You have to imagine he must have felt ashamed and alone in the crowd as he walked into the crowd and did something that he knew was way beyond socially acceptable. Probably could have gotten him stoned even if people really felt riled up enough about it. But when Jesus touched this leper, you see, the people would have viewed this, the religious leaders would have viewed this as Jesus taking on the leper's defilement. That in the instant Jesus came inside the six-foot barrier, he had already been defiled, but by the time he put his hand on this man, by the time he touched him, in that moment, Jesus would have instantly had leprosy. You see, touching someone who had leprosy was to identify with them. And in this case, people would have been looking at it as Jesus taking on the leper's disease. We have this beautiful picture in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 where it says, For God, for he made him, Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God. And in that moment, as Jesus touched this leper, we have a beautiful picture here, don't we, of 2 Corinthians 5.21. Jesus took on the defilement of the leper, or if you will, the leper's sin, and in turn, he gave the leper cleansing from his disease. He gave the leper cleansing from his, his sin. He healed him. He gave him new life and health. I mean, Jesus healing this leper is a living picture. It's a living epistle of what it means to know Jesus, of how sinners are saved, of what the gospel means, to come to Christ, to be touched by Jesus, to be forgiven. Jesus touched him. And you know, Jesus didn't have to touch him. He could have said, that's no, okay, you stay over there. In the name of the Father, I heal you. Be blessed, amen, I just go. Jesus could have done that, right? But why would Jesus choose to have the man come into his personal space and put his hand on him? 
Because people needed to see that God was real. They needed to see that Jesus cared. Now, isn't it true that sometimes in our, whatever we're going through, whether it's physical, emotional, spiritual, sometimes we think, God, do you care? I want to encourage you this morning. This story should let you know, it should reinforce to you the fact that God cares and that he loves you and that he has not forgotten about you. When Jesus took this leper, he took on the leper's defilement. He gave him cleansing and health and life. He didn't have to touch him, but he did. And we know, as we're going to see even today and even through the balance of this chapter, Jesus often varied the way he interacted with people. He didn't always heal the same way, did he? Sometimes he spoke a word. Sometimes he touched people. Sometimes he spat in the mud and made like a, a mud cake and put it on people's eyes. And he, he did all these crazy things. But you know, Jesus healed the way people needed to be touched. You know, sometimes we need to hear from the Lord and so he'll speak to us or, or, or work with us in the way that we need to be ministered to. God is so gracious. Someone said this, men more easily believe in miraculous power than in miraculous love. Isn't that true? We can go, wow, man, this great, amazing thing happened. They're healed, and they go on, they're happy. We're just so happy for them. But the miraculous love of God, you see, Jesus touched this leper out of love. There was no fear. Jesus wasn't afraid he was going to get COVID. I'm sorry, leprosy. When he touched this man. And Jesus said to him, see that you tell no one. But go your way, show yourself to the priests, and offer the gift that Moses commanded as a testimony to them. I've probably told this story before, but you've probably forgotten. Um, many years ago, I was, uh, yeah, probably at least 20 years ago, I, I got really sick. I didn't know I had the flu, but I had the flu. And, and I, I thought I had some disease because I was, you know how we get, you know, we, man colds. Do I, do I have to explain that? Okay. So... I was sick. I was laying in the bed. I had the blankets up around my neck. Uh, my teeth were literally chattering. I was just at these chills. And we, we had this very good friend who went to the church we went to. He's a, a doctor, a surgeon. <clears throat> so I, I, I called my wife, and she came up. And I'm like, call, call, call Dick. Ask him to come over. I'm dying, you know. <laughs> so he comes over. He's just a great friend. He comes over with his little doctor bag. Looked like Marcus Welby, MD. Most of you don't even know who that is. Anyways, he came in, and he sat on my bedside, and he looked at me, and he did his little doctor exam, and he said, you just, you have the flu, I'm sorry to tell you that, and you don't want to hear it, but you have the flu, you're going to be okay in like three days, you're not going to die, you're fine. So as we're sitting there interacting, I say to him, I said, so, you know, I thanked him, and I was just very grateful, of course, that he came, and I said, so, aren't you afraid when you're, I mean, you came, and I appreciate it, you're my friend, but aren't you afraid of getting sick? I mean, catching the flu from me? And he said, you know, I learned a long time ago. He says, I trust the Lord. I'm not saying anybody here doesn't trust the Lord, but I'm saying, here's what he said to me. He said, God called me to be a doctor. And if God wants me to be sick, I'll get sick. But if, he said, more often than not, I don't get sick. I just, I, I, it's not me, it's the Lord. 
And so as I come and I do what God's called me to do and I minister to people, God protects me. And that's all I can say to you. And if, and if something different happens and I get a, a d deadly disease and die, then that's in God's hands. But he said, up to this point in time, God has protected me. And no doubt Jesus knew that, didn't he? Jesus wasn't afraid that he was going to get sick. And he told this man, go and tell no one, go your way, show yourself to the priest and offer the gift that Moses commanded now again in Le Leviticus 14. Everything was laid out there that if you were actually blessed as a leper to be healed, it tells you there specifically the offering you must bring and you must come and you must show yourself to the priest. Now, why must the leper go and show himself to the priest? Well, the priest had to verify, and again, reading in Leviticus 14, it tells you the process you have to go through and they have to make sure that this is real, this is true, and this is not some kind of hoax or fallacy or you're not having a little uptick in health but that it is indeed real. And you can imagine that if someone has had fingers falling off and opening open sores and their face is covered and their skin, if you go online and Google this and see how it looks, I mean, it is a terrible, terrible, terrible disease. And to see as a priest this person who was certifiably a leper, if you go back and read chapter 13 about the, how they had to validate that you were indeed infected with leprosy. It was a terrible thing. So they knew they had a record. And now you come and you show yourself to the priest. And listen, this was something the priest didn't see very often. It was incredibly rare for this to happen. Now let's stop and put ourselves in the context of this history for a moment. Who would have been the high priest at this time? Annas, Caiaphas, there were others involved on the Sanhedrin. The Sanhedrin was a council of 70, 71 men. The Apostle Paul might have likely been there because he was a part of the Sanhedrin during this time. I mean, who might have been exposed to this? Nicodemus? And so this man comes and he shows himself to the priest and he brings the offering. What an amazing thing for the priest to see. I mean, this was as much a testimony to the priest of what God does in the lives of people as it was to the, the man who went to the priest to show himself. And then to be declared clean, to be allowed re-entry into society, to be, have people told this man is no longer a leper, he's no longer infected by his sin, he's no longer unclean. Now one of the things, interestingly, that happened in this cleansing ceremony as you went to the priest is that um, um, oil and uh, blood would have been applied to the ear, the thumb, and the toe of the person who was cleansed, the, 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 the cleansed leper. And you say, why was that? Well, it's interesting. The only other time that was done was when a priest was being anointed. The ear, the thumb, and the toe would be anointed by oil showing that God's Holy Spirit, God's blessing was on that priest. And so in this case, you can imagine for the person whose leprosy has been cleansed, whose sin has been forgiven, to have this oil applied to their ear, their thumb, their right big toe was such an amazing thing. This man, this leper is healed. I mean, this truly 
had to be one of the biggest miracles Jesus ever did that people ever saw. Because as this man came, he had the obvious effects of leprosy. There's no doubt that, you know, if this man were in early stages and just declared unclean, but nothing physical had been yet manifest, then it would probably have been easier to think, well, you know, it probably wasn't leprosy. Most likely this man had things going on. He probably was missing toes and fingers and maybe his nose was rotting. Maybe an ear had fallen off. Who knows? But for this to happen, for Jesus to have this man healed and restored and cleansed was such an amazing thing. And now we just keep rolling and it says now when Jesus had entered Capernaum, the hill was right outside Capernaum, we believe, right where he had the the Sermon on the Mount and now he had left the Sermon on the Mount. He's on the Uh, northwest shore of Lake Galilee, and he's heading around Capernaum's on the north shore. He's entered Capernaum. A centurion, that is a Roman soldier who was uh, ruling and ranking over at least a a squad of a hundred men, centurion, century, uh, came to him, pleading with him. And he says, Lord, my servant is lying at home paralyzed, dreadfully tormented. Now, a centurion was a ruler. A centurion was a man who was in charge. He he was a professional soldier. He's approaching Jesus, who was a man of peace. He was regarded as a rabbi. He was a Gentile. Jesus was a Jew. This soldier, as he came, was a man who was not an ordinary soldier. He was not an ordinary man. I mean, how many men, how many centurion would care about one servant in their house. And this centurion came, and he's pleading with Jesus, we're told, saying, Lord, my servant is lying at home paralyzed, dreadfully tormented. This man had compassion in his heart. And notice that this centurion came on behalf of his servant. In other words, he, became, he came on behalf of another person. So let's make the obvious comparison and application to us. We need to go to Jesus on behalf of other people, don't we? We need to take them before the Lord in prayer. Uh, we, We need to do what we can to help whenever we can, but especially in prayer. So this centurion had this unusual attitude toward his slave, and he said, Lord, please, Please, this poor man is being tormented. And Jesus said to him, I'll come and heal him. I'll come to your house. You see, Jesus was willing. But you see, just as we talked about all these customs and taboos with respect to leprosy, it was taboo for a Jew to go into the house of a Gentile. And need I remind you that Jerusalem and that Israel was under siege and under, under Roman rule. And so the Jews hated the Romans. And so Jesus says, I'll go to your house, not just the house of a Gentile, but the house of a Roman soldier. And the centurion answered and said, Lord, I'm not worthy that you should come under my roof, but only speak a word. You see, we might read that initially and think he's just being kind of humble. And no doubt this was a humble man, but we believe he was saying that because he understood the customs. And he likely, out of respect, didn't want to see Jesus, you know, harm himself, defile himself, defile his standing in the community. He, he just came and said, Lord, can you come? 
I'm not worthy that you should come under my roof, but only speak a word, and my servant will be healed. For I also am a man under authority, having soldiers under me, and I say to this one, go, and he goes, and to another one, come, and he comes. And to my servant, do this, and he does it. You see, the centurion understood how authority works, because in the Roman system, a centurion, an officer in Pharaoh, my goodness, Caesar's army, you see, when a Roman soldier gave an order, it carried the weight of Caesar himself. It was as if Caesar was speaking, so to disobey an order from a Roman officer could mean death. It was that serious. And so the, the centurion understood how authority works. He understood that a command issued, I mean, you know that whole, your, your, my, your wish is my command, right? That saying that we have, that's the way it was. So this command issued by a centurion was as if Caesar had spoken it, and yet as he, he, as he came to Jesus, he says, Lord, I know how this works, and I know who you are. And if you speak the word, it'll be done. You don't even need to come. You, you can be here and he can be 20 miles away. It's all right that that can happen because of who you are. Now, Jesus stops here and he pauses and he gives us this little interlude, right? It's like, what, what, Jesus, come back. He just went off down the bunny trail here. Verse 10, when Jesus heard this, he marveled and he said to those who followed us, like he stopped and he turned around and he said, the guy standing here talking to him, the centurion, he turns around and he says to the people, assuredly, I say to you, I have not found such great faith, not even in Israel. Now, faith should have been found anywhere. It should have been where? In Jerusalem, in Israel, among God's people. And Jesus is saying, I've never seen anybody with that kind of faith because they understand who God is. They understand who I am. And I say to you, now he goes into this sort of a soliloquy here, I say to you that many will come from the east and the west and sit down with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. It's like all of a sudden he just pulled way back and he said, okay, let me tell you how it's going to be one day in the kingdom of God. Pause over here. Come with me over to the kingdom of God. Come away for a moment. Here's what's going to happen. I say to you that many will come from the east and the west and sit down with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. He's saying people are going to come from all over, not, ju- not just Jews from Israel. God's going to bring people in from all over the world. But the sons of the kingdom, meaning the Jews, will be cast into outer darkness. He's saying people who don't believe. And there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now, remember Jesus had just said earlier, probably less than an hour earlier, in the passage we read last week, many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord. And they will say, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name? Didn't we heal in your name? Didn't we do all these things in your name? And he says, depart from me, I never knew you. He's saying to these Jewish followers, to these people who thought they were saved because of their status, because of their name, because of their religious affiliation, he says, many of the sons of the kingdom will be cast into outer darkness and there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And then he comes back and he says, okay, turns around to the centurion, go your way. As you have believed, so let it be done for you. And his servant was healed that hour. What an amazing thing. Jesus cleanses people who need cleansing. He heals people who need healing. 
Then as he continues on, he comes to Peter's house. Peter lived in Capernaum, verse 14. Now when Jesus had come into Peter's house, he saw his wife's mother lying sick with a fever. Now, you might want to circle verse 14 here because this clearly tells us Peter was married, right? And although I'm not picking on Catholic doctrine, but remember, they look at Peter and say Peter was the first pope. And the perpetual papacy of Peter is passed down and, and priests must be celibate because Peter was celibate. Well, the verse says here, Peter's wife, his wife's mother, lying sick with a fever. So Peter was married. And so he touched her. Jesus touched her hand. She was lying sick with a fever. And as he touched her, the fever left her. And she arose and served them. Isn't it interesting when Jesus heals people, there's no recovery process, right? It's not like when we have surgery, right? You know, I've been through it. Many of you have been through it. And there's a healing process. You've got to take it slow. Not with Jesus. The healing is, boom, instantaneous, right? So she gets up from her fever and immediately begins to serve them. One commentator pointed out that the change in this one woman's life led to miracles in the lives of many other people. Why? Because she immediately began serving people. Peter's house was a house of ministry. Another person pointed out serving Jesus is a wonderful evidence of being restored to spiritual health. You see, physical healing and spiritual healing often can be synonymous, can't they? And then when evening had come, they brought to Jesus many who were demon-possessed, and he cast out the spirits with a, with a word and healed all who were sick, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying he himself took our infirmities and bore our sicknesses. So now we're at the end of this very long day, and people continued under cloak of darkness, under lamplight, to bring people to Jesus. And notice they brought to him many who were demon-possessed, and he cast out the spirits with a word. You see, Jesus could have healed the leper with a word, but he healed him with a touch. He could have healed Peter's mother-in-law with a word, but he went over and touched her hand. With these demons, how do you cast out a demon? Well, he told them to leave. And he healed all who were sick. And we're not told. These are the things I wish we had more of things written in the Gospels that told us, well, what happened when it says he healed all who were sick? Tell me about that. I'd love to know about that. Jesus, what did you do? And that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet. So now Matthew, being a Jew, writing to Jews, writes, reaches all the way back to Isaiah the prophet saying, he himself took our infirmities. In Isaiah chapter 53, which we looked at back on Good Friday, Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. I've read over the years when we get to Isaiah 53, 5, where it says, and by his stripes we are healed. There are people who want to argue, well, that only means spiritually. I don't know if it only means spiritually, but it does say by his stripes we are healed. 
in this passage, while referring to verse 4, surely he has borne our griefs and he took our infirmities, carried our sorrows, which is quoted here in Matthew eight seventeen. Certainly, Jesus' care for people was not cold and mechanistic. He didn't line them up and say, okay, everybody in this line who has cancer, you're all healed. Everybody in this line who has a cold, you're all healed. Everybody in this line who has this condition, you're all healed. No, Jesus talked to them, right? He touched them. He looked in their eyes. He cared. You see, Jesus loved people. Jesus cared about people. And he wanted to touch them. He wanted to see them healed. Some ask, and this often becomes a barrier to faith, why doesn't God heal more frequently today? Why, why aren't I healed? Why isn't my daughter healed? We ask these questions. We have these questions. They're legitimate, but all I can say to you as we sang this morning about the sovereignty of God is that God is indeed in control. He's in charge. And we don't know why. God does the thing he, things he does, but we do know we have things in the Bible like what we read about Joseph's life. And remember, as we studied Joseph, we came down to the end of his life in Genesis chapter 50, I believe it was, and he said, you know, what you intended for evil, God meant for good. God meant for all these things to happen, and he took me through these things, and I was on this path, and you guys were on this path, but God brought us together so that the nation might be saved. You see, God does things like that, doesn't he? The book of Revelation, so I just quoted, told you a little story from the first book of the Bible. The last book of the Bible says that God is in control and over all things. It says he is the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. You see, he sees from a perspective and he knows what's happening in our lives. And then we have things like in Romans chapter 8 where it says that God causes all things over the course of time, all this stuff that happens in our lives good, bad, and different, to work for the good to those who love God and to those who are the called according to his purpose. You see, God is orchestrating things in our lives. And we wonder why, and we sit here in darkness in our little pod wondering, God, what are you doing? And yet as we stay close to God, and we stay connected to the vine, and we seek the Lord, and we read his word, and we pray, and we say, Lord, I don't know what's going on. I just know I'm clinging to you. God will take us through it. He will reveal it to us. And I can tell you, looking back, I can see more than I can see ahead. And probably you can as well. Now I can look back and see things that God did, and I be, they begin to make sense to me. But I look forward, and I, I don't know. But I do know, because I see what he's done, and I see how faithful he's been, and I have his word, which proves his faithfulness, that I can trust him. And that if something happens in my life, then God is in control. He's, he's taking care of it. I don't have to worry. I don't have to fear because God is in control. And God wants us to know this morning that cleansing, that healing, that the sovereignty of God over our lives, you see, it, 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 it's, it's him. This is why we come together. This is why we come to church, people to worship God because of who he is, because of how he loves us, because of his care in our lives. 
And I believe this morning as we draw this to a close that God wants us to pray. I believe there might be some of you here who need prayer. We've, we've obviously, we've prayed for Carolyn. We've prayed last week for, for Diane and for Eli. We prayed this morning for uh, Anna's dad. But there may be others of you here this morning. I, I can't promise anything, but we're going to pray. So pa- Pastor Mitch is going to come up and join me here down front. And I have a, a song, a recorded song we're going to pray. It's a song I came into my mind from many years ago. You guys probably don't know this. This artist is a Christian artist from the West Coast who's actually just a worship leader. But I love this song, and the song's called Leper, but it's about God's healing and cleansing. And so we're going to listen to that song, Pastor Mitch, and I will be down here to pray for you, to pray with you. And, uh, you know, you don't have to come up here if you want to just ask the person next to you to pray for you. We're just going to take a few minutes and do that this morning. And just open ourselves up to the Lord. What, What might he want to do? Might he want to do something among us this morning? If you need physical healing, emotional healing, spiritual healing, if you need cleansing, Maybe you just need to tell somebody about stuff going on in your life. You know, we want to be here for you. Uh, remember we talked about as we were going through the Sermon on the Mount, judging. We're not here to judge you. You know, we're here to be the goodness of God to you, to be the love of God. We want to be a picture of that miraculous love of God to you and to each other. That's what we want this, this, this church to be, the body of Christ to be. Love and grace and mercy. So if you guys would play that song, Pastor Mitchell, come up and we will, uh, we will pray for you. Lord, thank you for your word this morning. And as we have submitted ourselves to you and heard all that you've had to say, Lord, we just continue for these next few minutes to just open ourselves up to you and we, we bless your holy name. Lord, what might you want to do among us this morning? In the name of Jesus, amen.